Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host as ever, Lucinda Carney from Actus, and this week we're going to be running a masterclass. So the masterclass this week, I have an expert in the name of Julianne Sullivan, who's a best-selling author, um, a business coach. She's also a podcast host, and she's going to talk about her own model, which is the power of more, she'll tell us about later, which is fundamentally about how we can be more engaging leaders or encourage more engaging leadership within our business. Uh, as I said earlier, she's actually uh, she's a she is a podcast host, and her most recent book that I was looking at at the weekend is called Catalysts of Culture, where she's got a number of the interviews that she's carried out with CEOs and CHROs within businesses that have got amazing cultures, and it's quite interesting to hear what the themes are that she's brought through. So, Julianne, it's absolutely great to have you on the HR Hub Rising. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. So it's wonderful to, to have you join. And I say you have got books on all sorts of topics. You've got a fascinating background. I notice you've got something to do with laughter, sh- gratitude books. You're an expert in laughter therapy or something, which might be worth as a, a light um, intro. But would you like to just position yourself for our audience so they know where you're coming from? Oh, sure. I started out my career in uh, psychology, got a bachelor's degree in psychology, Um, and decided then to spend every day deliberately learning about human behavior. That was decades ago, and I still do that every day deliberately, whether I learn about myself or the people around me, how people act and react to the world around them. And then I got practical and went back to school and got an MBA in accounting of all things. This is about the time people cock their head and go, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, psychology and accounting, I was with you till that part. (laughs) And I got into accounting and really liked it. It was like a puzzle. I thought it was fun. So um, I got my MBA and did more different jobs than I ever dreamed. I thought I was going to be in public accounting forever. I actually created continuing education courses and sold them and taught them in three different states. I taught at universities. Um, I was a controller for a while. And just really, because of my interest in human behavior, really wanted to understand how businesses work and how that human behavior affects that work. And then there came a time where I didn't want to learn one more idea about accounting. I just had it. I was full. And as you know, Lucinda, you always have to keep learning no matter what you're doing. Or for me, anyway, it's time to move on. So I was working for a friend of mine and who was a partner in this accounting firm. And I said, I got to go. And I went home and I had always kept a kept a fuzzy file, which had nice things that people sent to me, either in emails or cards or letters. And 
I had always been doing presentations. So I went, oh, I'm going to become a professional speaker, having no idea what that meant. And just kind of went down that road of training and speaking. And about the same time, employee engagement became a, uh, a phrase. Mm-hmm. And it was about 2009. And after research, because I'm a research kind of person, I decided that was me. And then it became the employee experience. And then it became culture, which includes all the others. Um, and so I've just been going down that road. And I started a podcast originally called Mere Mortals Unite, in which I had guests talk about their superpowers that everyone could have because I think people give way too much of their power away. That's what I've seen in my observation of human behavior. And then I thought it would be interesting to start to interview uh, C-suite leaders who had great cultures. And at first I was wondering if I would ever find anybody who had a good culture. It was very difficult, (laughs) but now I've interviewed over 60 C-suite leaders and multiple consultants on this area. And I, I got a lot of good information, not just ideas, but ideas that work. I wondered whether you've got, you might want to, before we maybe go into the main bit about your catalyst thing, would you think about, in terms of HR superpowers, have you any thoughts when you've talked to CHROs or leaders, what sort of superpowers you'd like to see them display more of? Any tips there? Well, there's actually quite a bit in uh, the power of more, which is what we're going to talk about, which is based on the four attributes that I saw in interviewing these people that they all had in common. But the number one superpower, and certainly this is true for HR professionals and anyone in a leadership role. And by the way, everyone's in a leadership role at some point in time, no matter what your job is, is yep. communication. And that is not just speaking, but even more so body language and the ability, or I call it the art of listening. So in terms of your uh, your model, if you like, so in terms of our leadership model, the more model, something that actually any of us can apply, isn't it, that you were saying, and obviously the listening, the art of listening is something we can wrap into that, I'm sure all the way through, it's almost a, a skill that, that we, we all need to work on privately and professionally. Um, when do you use your more model or when would you recommend it? Well, the power of more are four what I call fundamental pillars of having a good culture. Um, to have the highest rating culture, you need them all. It's kind of like spokes in a wheel or think of pillars holding up a granite ceiling or roof. If one breaks, it's not going to work. And and it's going to rotate, right? Sometimes you're going to be better at one than you are at the other. The, the main thing to remember about culture is it is not a one and done. You know, nobody comes in and does a workshop for you and we, we have good culture. That's not the way culture works. And there are still too many companies out there, <coughs> excuse me, that want to do it that way. And, and that's not 
that's not the way it's done. So the power of more is, and, and as I go through them, you'll see they all really relate to one another. And so it's just being really conscious of everything we're doing in this company. How is it bringing more power to this power of more? How is it increasing the power of more? It's kind of a base values uh, ideas, ways to live. Uh, I say that you want to build the power of more into the fabric of your culture. And let's say you have a way, let's say you're in an environment where people have to keep track of their time, like in accounting you do or in legal you do. Whatever your system is for that or your system is for sales or your system is for contacts, there needs to be systems to make sure that the power of more or your values or your mission statement or whatever you hold dear happens every day forever. And it will change, right? If you don't have a culture, you need to know the first step, which is why I wrote my last book, Blueprint for Employee Engagement, because I do a lot of work in change management too. And as you know, Lucinda, change is like a dirty word to people. They immediately cringe, but it doesn't have to be that way. But one of the number one reasons people cringe with change is it's too big. So even my model of a power of more is about breaking things down, breaking strategies down. Uh, and when I give my learning experience on culture, I actually have people build this model from the power of more for a next step that is unique to them and their experience in their company. So they walk out of the room and they have this model. And although it's my structure, it's their path. Right. So something that people can put their content on to layer on to make it fully applicable to themselves. And, and then you're saying to turn it into something real, you've got to then put the systems and processes in place to reinforce it, to live it. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. I interviewed the uh, COO of a very large franchise conglomerate. I think they have 29 other franchises within their company. And they had, in fact, she's in the book, uh, uh, Mary Thompson, and which, you know, in Catalysts of Culture. And they had their values. And when people gathered, of two or more people, every time they gather, they'd either um, uh, recite their values or they would talk about one of them for one minute before they had their meeting. And and they had a prize for anyone who could recite them with heart. And that wasn't only in the corporate office. It was for all their franchise and all their franchise workers. Um, they would get a T-shirt and a gift card. Okay, so it was really pushed. Now, when they started this, in two years, they doubled their revenue. Yeah, yeah I read this one. It's quite powerful. Yeah. Now, it probably wasn't only about uh, because of that, but you can see how powerful it would be if you're constantly reminded. Catherine Munson, from the CEO from Fast Signs International, is also a part of the book, an incredible woman, powerful, 
kind, just an amazing human being, very big in the franchise world. And their values on everyone's desk. Like people have a lot of things to remember, right? So you have to give them some way to remember what they're working with, what yeah. they're working for, what they're supposed to be doing. Cause it's easy to forget. Yeah. Our brains are filled with a lot of people. So that's that consistency, that repetition is very important. And the values piece is interesting. I was going to ask you that about how it all links to culture because I guess it also demonstrates, well, it's what comes first with culture, values or the culture, or is it a chicken <laughs> the and egg? chicken or the egg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest ways that I help organizations is coming up with the plan. Companies will spend a lot of time and money and effort if they have a new product or service that they want to push out to their clients and or customers. Many companies don't do that when it comes to their company culture. Uh, the ones who already have a good culture have something in their process to revisit because it's got to change, got to change it up, change it up, change it up and move forward. So one of the biggest pieces of work I do is help them with that plan. Okay. So do you want to tell us about your The Power of More? Yeah. So The Power of More, M stands for mastery. And mastery has to do with lifelong learning. And lifelong learning is not only for the leadership, but allowing and giving the opportunity of lifelong learning for the workforce. It's becoming more and more popular for companies to give people money to go out and learn and not necessarily something that's related to their job. Because in this formulation of culture now, we realize we have a whole human being there. Uh, and they bring everything with them from home and take everything with them home from work. So they allow them to go out and learn. And it might be knitting. One person uh, learned to play the guitar and they ended up uh, having a soundproof room at this company and they ended up having a company band. And so for breaks, people would get together and then, of course, they ended up playing at parties and blah, blah, blah. But it all started with, sure, you can take this money and go learn to play guitar. Is it about the time? I was going to say, did they give them the time to do it as well? It's an interesting. Uh, I believe they did it <clears throat> on their own time mm -hmm. and some of them didn't, didn't. So I worked with another company and they had different departments that waited for work. They were civil engineers, right? And so one department might have nothing to do waiting for another department to get them that work right for their step and their complaint was is that people were sitting around on their iphones or whatever on facebook and um that irritated them so my suggestion was well why don't you have them learn something that would make their job more effective and efficient and then have them come back and teach the other people when they had downtime right so it's a way to create efficiency 
while you're allowing people to learn on your time, but they're, they don't have anything to do anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so rather than being bored, they're actually um, taking on something else and it's pushing something back. It's a great way to learn something if you teach it to others as well. Absolutely. So absolutely. Makes sense. So that that's the piece of mastery. And thank goodness the days are gone where the CEOs had to know everything. I love that the new sexy word for leadership is vulnerability. You know, more and more leaders are coming out and saying, I don't do this. What do you think? Is this going to work? Like, I don't do this job every day, but you do. You know, it's almost humility as well, isn't it? It's, it's, It's having the humility. You don't have to know it all. You don't know everything. Yeah. And for, you know, decades and decades, it was just the opposite. So not only is it good for the company, but I think it's a lot of relief for the, you know, C-suite leaders in the world to not have that burden of having all the answers, which they don't have anyway. Yes. So that's mastery. So the next piece is, O is for open-mindedness. And you got to be open to new ideas. You, You have to, you know, we all are judgmental. Everybody judges all the time. They judge an idea because it comes from Mary and I don't like her sweaters or it comes from Scott because I don't like his tattoo. I mean, our judgments are not founded in you know, the information that's coming to us. And it's because we're human. However, we need to get to a point, what I call is, what connects all of these power of more together is what I call DSK, deepening self-knowledge. And that is a lifetime journey, right? How did I screw up today and how could I make it better? I mean, to be very frank is what it's about. And so this open-mindedness is partially us saying, what am I closed to and why am I closed? And of course, that goes back to listening, which, or which we're going to get to in the, in the next uh, piece. You can listen to a new idea. Maybe you don't like the new idea. Okay. But maybe there's a part of that new idea that can be utilized. You know, don't shut off things automatically. And many of these great leaders that I've interviewed will take suggestions and like Bill Hageman from Witham Smith and Brown, who's also in Catalyst of Culture, um, who I interviewed because they were accounting firm that had fun, so I just had to. Uh, <laughs> but they answer everyone's suggestions, even if it is, this is just not a priority right now, but we're going to keep it in the back of our heads. They don't ignore it. It's like I scream at people on stage for not answering people who send them resumes. How hard is it to have a template email that says, thank you for your email. We're not interested at this time, but we'll keep it on file. Because the person that you ghost and companies ghost people all the time could have been your next VP. Yeah. Could be your greatest customer. When they go to wing night, they're going to talk about XYZ company who didn't even have the courtesy to say, we got your resume. It's not hard in this day and age. We all have templates. We all use templates. You, you know, put their name in, enter, gone, done. 
I was a little bit courteous goes a long way. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get off that. <laughs> so, I agree. It's courtesy, so, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So open-mindedness has to do with widening your lens to the perspectives in life. And that's the O. And then R stands for reconnection. And this has to do with really honing our ability to listen. And listening may be the circumstance you're in. Somebody comes into your office and says, hey, I got to talk to you right now. If you're in the middle of something, and I actually coached some administrators at a private school once because they said, oh, people are coming in all the time. And this goes back to the words you use. They didn't know what words to use to say not now without feeling like they were ignoring those people. What I coached them on was saying, is this an emergency? I'm working on this right now. I, that's where my focus is. And I value what you have to say. And I'd like to have this conversation. Could we do it at four o'clock? If we yep. can't and you feel it's an emergency, I'll break away, but I'm giving you this as an alternative. More times than not, people are going to go, oh, okay, didn't know you were busy. What people do sometimes is they, they let people in and then they're irritated because they didn't get their job done and then they don't listen well. So mm-hmm. know what your surroundings are when you're listening and keep blocking out all the judgments you have and um, create an environment, and this goes into trust. People aren't even going to talk to you if they don't trust you. A lot of this is about trust, isn't it? And I thought oh, what's, yeah. what's very interesting, that whole reconnection, I like that a lot in terms of, it's like a time management thing, isn't it? Because we can allow the interruption, then we're frustrated, and we don't respond, and then we don't listen, and then you damage the relationship, and you don't get, and, and both parties lose. Whereas actually, if you can have that, a term of saying actually I, I I need to listen properly to you I value you and actually let it does do we have to talk about this now it, it's a really rare response but actually it makes such a difference to it's the most efficient and effective yeah and definitely does well with the relationship absolutely yes. yeah listening is really really key so we have to again deepening self-knowledge get connected with ourselves and understand, is this a good time to listen? How am I listening? Um, uh, are, you only list, are you only thinking about what you're going to say next? That's not good listening. I do a lot of um, listening exercises when I do learning experiences on communication so people can get a really good idea of how well of a listener they are or not. And we could all do better every day. There's nobody who couldn't listen better. Are there any exercises that you can run on the podcast? Are there any quick questions or anything? Or is it something we'd link to that get people thinking about their listening? I think the best practice that I have ever found, and it's really easy and everybody can commit to it for as long as they want to, hopefully forever. And that is just to notice what's going on in their head when people are talking to them. And when you're in a networking group or a meeting or something uh, and people are kind of milling around, is somebody talking to you and you're looking over their shoulder? Notice when you do that because you, this I know from change management, you cannot change anything until you recognize it. 
So for the next week, every time you have a conversation, or even just today, start today in your next conversation and notice how are you listening. Notice whether you're present in in there at the time, isn't it? Or whether you're thinking about something else. I remember um, sometimes people, when we, again, we did it in Seven Habits, a listening exercise. And um, some people would say, well, what happens if the person's really boring? And so, so, so for you to think that, you're kind of saying in your head that they're really boring, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy. What if you could flip it around and think, actually, I'm really interested in what this person has to say. And then you stop thinking. As, as soon as you're, when you're actually genuinely listening, your head isn't talking to you, is it? You're not, you, you are just listening. And so it goes. But there you go. I mean, there's a really good <coughs> example. Me. And that is, is that sometimes you think people are boring because they're not getting to the point. I'm a very bottom line type of person. I don't want to hear the story. <laughs> I just want to know what your issue is and how we can move forward. That's just my personality. We all have different personalities. Some people are storytellers and it's important for them. So, you know, to get all this information out for them to make a point. So again, it has to do with efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. If someone is going on and on and you only have so much time, you might be able to say, hey, Mary, hey, Lucinda, I, I hear what you're saying, but I am a bottom line type of person. And I also have this big project. If it's possible, can you pinpoint what the issue is or what the challenge is. I like the word challenge better um, so that we can deal with that. There are nice ways to say you're freaking boring and you're driving me insane. There are other ways to say that. But it is helpful if you can practice those nice ways because the reality is if you've been listening to somebody and they're starting to drone on, uh, then it's hard to say that in a nice, positive, constructive way and not show the irritation in your voice, isn't it? Because that, so that's the balance, is remembering to say it early enough that you're not <clears throat> irritated. And I think understand that people just have different ways of communicating. It's not that they're boring. They're a storyteller. That's yes. who they are. Yeah. I'm a bottom line person. That's the way I am. You know, it's like doing DISC and finding out, you know, are people introverts? Are they extroverts? Are they controlling? Are, you know, you find out that that's the wonderful thing about deepening self-knowledge. The more deepening self-knowledge you have about yourself, the easier it is for you to understand other people and where they're coming from. And we're all coming from a different place. Yeah. And most of the time, we don't really know people's stories anyway. But let me get to the last piece of more, which is E, which is environment. And again, we're going to see trust come in here. And I'm specifically talking about creating safe environments. When our next generation of workers come in, this is going to be their biggest want, Right? Millennials came in and said, you have to care about me. If you don't care about me, I don't want to work for you. You have to give me a purpose for what I'm doing. The next generation has lived through the Me Too movement and way too many mass shootings. Environment, a safe environment, physically and emotionally, is going to be paramount. And we need to be ready. And it should be anyway, right? We have so many examples the newest being Boeing, 
where people didn't be, feel safe enough to say, you know what, this isn't working and it could be unsafe. You know, we've now read all of those emails that came out from Boeing where people said, are clowns making this? You know, so it wasn't like it wasn't known, but people didn't feel safe enough. They didn't have a safe environment. So people could come forward and say, you guys, we, we need to do something. This is dangerous. Now, that's huge, but in any company, that's the way it should be, right? People should be able to come forward and saying this isn't working. Remember I said the CEO doesn't know everything that everybody does. They don't do all those jobs. Everybody has different jobs. And, and the most important place, I think, where this should come in is in uh, mid-leadership, right? Because those people get the least training, wake up world, they need the most training. And they get left out many times of leadership training. Um, and I would say in my leadership coaching that I do, communication is 80% of what I do and it affects everything else. You can see how it affects lifelong learning. You can see how it affects open-mindedness and it certainly affects um, your environment. Because if you don't communicate that, I've had several companies, Ashley Wynette, who used to be the head of HR for GM in Australia. We did a um, podcast together. He's now the global director for talent acquisition for GM globally, which I always attribute to our podcast, of course. <laughs> and um, But one of the things he brought forward and more I see and hear more companies doing this is having town hall meetings where they ask people, what gossip have you heard? What do you want to know about? And that takes time. People don't speak up right away because they don't trust the process, right? They don't feel like they're in a safe environment. If I say something, am I going to be the one? That has to grow over time. So if you haven't done that, in your company where you've allowed people to come forward and you're making it a new environment, don't expect people to run. You got to give it time. Mm. So that's the power of more mastery, open-mindedness, reconnection and environment. No, I like that. And I was seeing how they link together. I was um, thinking that you talked earlier about sort of leaders being prepared to be vulnerable and having humility that very much links with that, doesn't it? So, you, 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 you are vulnerable, hum have the humility to be willing to learn, to be open-minded that other people might have the answer and you don't have the answer, to listen, not to sort of push back if somebody raises a problem, so not make them fearful because you, they're worried you're going to bite their head off. And that's how you create a safe environment. You can very much almost, it builds to the trust of the output. Everything is connected. That's what I was saying in the, in the beginning. I have a funny story. There was this company where they had a CEO that was, you know, kind of in the high castle. I'm here. You folks are all down there kind of attitude. And they got a new CEO in, and he was just the opposite. So he, they had a cafeteria in their company, and he decided to go down in the cafeteria. And he sat down next to somebody didn't know who she was or what she did or, you know, what department she was in and said, hi, I'm the new CEO. And he said the woman turned to him and was like a deer in, high, in, in headlights because she knew who he was, but why was he talking to her? Yeah. So that was going to take time. 
right? Yeah. But he just showed up all the time. And then people went, oh, that's whatever his name was. And it's, yeah, and he's actually genuinely interested. And yeah, so you can, yeah, so you can't just do it overnight. And particularly if you've got positional power, then people are going to be cautious about that in terms of hierarchy. Not everybody's going to be comfortable. Has that been there? history. A lot of these companies I talk to and I say, you have people coming in who've worked for cultures that aren't like yours. What happens when they come into your culture? And they say they're hesitant. Mm. It's too good to be true. They're, they're amazed mm. because they came from someplace where it's not like that. And it behooves you to work with those people, especially through mentorships within the company. I had one company that when people come in to interview, they can pick anyone in the company to talk to for 30 minutes. Their choice of who they pick. No, oh, I like it. Recreative. So just looping back, I suppose, just getting to the end of our, our time together. Um, if we're thinking about HR professionals, um, CHROs or, or whatever level to be perfectly honest if you're an hr professional and you've got some concerns about the power of more let's say that some of your colleagues around the board table are not necessarily demonstrating that have you any tips for how you can whether it's call them out or develop it what would you say if you're trying to influence that from within hr used to only be compliance for decades, right? That's what it was about, you know, the benefits, the whatever it was. But it was all about compliance and filling out forms, basically. Now HR has expanded in some places. And what my friend Cheryl Simmons would say is, if you're the head of HR at your company and you don't have a separate department that's culture, right? you got to have a seat at the table with the C-suites. You can't be separate because you can't do anything. Well, I won't say that. I was going to say you can't do anything on your own, but you can. But you can't push culture forward if you don't have leadership with you. And you should be a part of that leadership. If you do have a culture department, if, you're, if your job description is not just compliance, right, then find a way to be a part of creating what is going to be that culture. Now, let's say you're a part of HR, a part of your job description is culture, but you're not really given the power to do that because we all know there's people like that out there. I say you have your space, you have your behavior, and hopefully that will maybe, uh, that will influence the next person who influences the next person who influences the next person. And I am not afraid when I coach people, if they're in a particular place and they really want to expand beyond uh, compliance, and they're not being allowed to, to tell them maybe they should look for another job. You know, it, maybe it's not a good fit. Maybe you, maybe you are in HR and you want to be in culture, but they pull in someone else for a people officer and you don't get to be a part of that, but that's the job you want, go look for it. But I think we all have a great amount of influence 
And every person we influence, influences someone else, influences their family, influences their friends. Even if it's just listening more, if you become a better listener, it's like walking around, and I've learned this become from being a certified laughter leader and trainer. When you go walk around the street and you smile, someone else is going to smile at you, and then they might smile at someone else who smiles at someone else, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost the pay it forward, isn't it? So you're, Absolutely. Saying, you're saying basically we are more influential than we might feel. So don't focus on what you can't influence. Focus on who you can and how you can lead in that Absolutely. way. You model way the power of more yourself. Um, and ultimately, having tried that with an open mind and delivered it, if, if you can't get any further, then you, know, you can influence where you work. But first of all, try, try and work on who you can influence you always got to work on yourself first. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We all do completely. That's great. Oh, so Julianne, it's been an absolute delight having you on the HR Uprising podcast. Um, I'm mine too. Uh, and and uh, yeah, and, and I'm, I will dip in further to the, the book because I say I only got it last week. So actually I was working through it at the weekend and the, a few nuggets in there. I really liked the values one that you talked about earlier. Um, and there's a, a few key ones towards the end in terms of SH, uh, HR professionals as well chros um i'll put links on our as ever with our show notes i'll put links to um anything that you've been signposting julianne your website etc and that way you can get the actual um book from if people are interested in knowing more and i'm sure you're happy for people to link in with you um to absolutely absolutely lovely so thank, thank you, you so much. much thanks julianne. So julianne sullivan thank you very much for having you on the hr uprising my pleasure well, wasn't she a pleasure to chat to? Julianne and I carried on chatting long after the podcast recording ended. And she is a great person if you are into collaboration. She's very, very open to collaborating with people, to sharing her ideas, and she's got so much experience. So I do recommend if you're into linking in to reach out to her um, and definitely you know, take a look at her book, Catalysts of Culture. So that's um, the end of this week's masterclass. And just before we wrap up, I wanted to invite any HR uprisers who are listening to this on release, which is the 18th of May, which is when this should go out, 2020. Uh, if you are not already aware, I've got a virtual book launch on Wednesday, Wednesday the 20th. There will be links in the show notes. Do feel free to um, sign up on Eventbrite if you'd like to join us, or if you're not available for that, you might be interested in taking advantage of the special offer that we've got for 24 hours only on the 21st um, this Thursday for the launch of my book. So you've probably seen the uh, things we've been pushing out on LinkedIn just to raise a bit of awareness, hopefully with a little bit of a smile to your face. So my book, How to Be a Change Superhero, goes live on Thursday. It will be available in paperback and it will also be available special price of £1.99 as a Kindle version for just 24 hours. So if you've got a Kindle, then that's a bargain to grab hold of. Hopefully um, you might find it of interest and there will also, if you like Audible, Audible is coming out in the next couple of weeks as well. And I guess because you're podcast listeners, that might be particularly of interest to you because you can listen to it um, on your dog walks, which is when I listen to most of my podcasts and most of my Audibles. The final thing I was just going to mention is that some of you registered, and it was literally just before the lockdown, uh, on my what was going to be in the olden days, 
oh, face-to-face training course, How to Be a Change Superhero. And we have got a date in for September, but whether that will actually run is a different matter. However, we have now repurposed this. And so next week on the HR Uprising podcast, I'll give you more details about the brand new course, which is all virtual about how to be a change superhero in those terms. So it's a, a virtual course that if this is something you want to get into more deeply um, and experience the book in, in greater detail, then um, there'll be details on that, which special uh, special discounts, of course, for HR uprisers. So finally, thank you very much for listening in as ever. I hope you are staying safe and sane and rising up together and being highly successful as we go through these strange and hugely challenging times. Thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.